I just wanted to mention a couple things before I start the show. We had a lot of technical issues with this recording, people getting kicked off, some mic issues. So I cleaned it up as best I could, but there's still a couple of weird edits and some sound quality issues. On the plus side, there's a couple of bloopers at the end. So bear with me for that. And also, this weekend, November 2nd through the 5th, I'll be at Metatopia in New Jersey. So if anyone's there and you want to stop by and say hi, you can look me up on Twitter at BlueQBGS and find out where I'll be. And I hope to record a show in my downtime there. So if you'd like to be on the show, get in touch with me. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and today I am joined by Michael Epstein of Copper Frog Games, Mike of the Indie Game Report, and Alicia Volkman. Today we're talking about art as theme in board games. So, Michael, Mike, Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for having us, Chris. All right, so Michael, why don't we start with you and you can give a quick introduction about yourself, your company, um, what you're working on, just a couple minutes about who you are. Sure. So my name is Michael. I am a board game designer in the Boston area who is the owner, sole proprietor of Copper Frog Games, LLC. Um, We've run one Kickstarter in the past, which did not succeed, but we are gearing up for a Kickstarter later this month, well, in October, um, for a game called Pigment, which is a Renaissance painting game. Cool. And Mike? Yeah, I'm Mike Wokash. I'm the, I guess, publisher, owner, founder of Fairway 3 Games. Uh, I also run a game review site, uh, the Indie Game Report. Uh, about a year ago, April of last year, I kickstarted a game called Starving Artist, which you can now buy on Amazon or from my website, which featured uh, more than 90 pieces of uh, art in a game that's paint by cube. Cool. And Alicia? Uh, I'm Alicia, of course, and I'm an illustrator and board game designer over in Minnesota. I've run two Kickstarters on my own, and I've also had one run through a publisher uh, for my game Underlings of Underwing. Uh, As you all mentioned, your art-themed games. Um, I'd say it's interesting because you've gone about it slightly different ways. Michael's is about being a Renaissance painter. Mike's is about... That was actually for the Game Crafter Survival Contest, right? And they... So it's more about surviving as an artist than Alicia. You did yours. It's about color theory, but also about dragons, which is an interesting way to go. So uh, let's start with Alicia. What um, what was the inspiration for your game, which that was for a Game Crafter Contest 2 uh, educational game, if I remember correctly, right? Yep. So when the contest came up... And I'm like, well, what's something I like? And that's dragons. And what's the only thing I thought I was qualified to teach? And that was color theory. Um, so between that and then a couple of proto spiels, it just kind of fell together, which I think is kind of what happens with most games. And I'd just like to point out that Alicia beat my game in that contest. Oh. I did. <laughs> Brutal. And Mike, what was the inspiration for yours? Because you, you took art into a survival contest, which is a, a unique spin. Yeah, so I did. It was a contest entry for the uh, Game Crafters. It was actually Grey Gnome Games, I believe, contest for survival game. Uh, 
And it was sort of a joke idea that I came up with over one weekend when I was trying to figure out a, an idea that would be a little bit unusual as I sort of expected a whole bunch of escape zombie horde type survival games. Uh, and it was one that over the course of about a weekend, I was like, well, I could do something about starvation or survival. And then it sort of one thing led to another. Um, I came up with the idea of starving artists and it was helpful for me as a designer and not artist to be able to build a game around a set of art assets that were essentially free public domain works that I could easily incorporate into a game. And then I uh, worked out all the mechanics, the paint by cube um, pieces, and I did a little bit of editing on the public domain art and uh, went nuts. And turned out it was pretty interesting as to place little transparent cubes onto beautiful works of art, and people didn't think it destroyed it. So uh, it was sort of the best of all worlds, I guess, art games. Cool. And Michael, your game is one that hasn't been released yet, so I don't know that much about it, but uh, how, <laughs> what was the idea for it and the inspiration? So the actual inspiration was not for an art game. It was actually for a factory game. Um, but in working through the mechanics, I realized that the theme wasn't really matching with the mechanics too well. But there were some pieces of it that I really liked still. So at, the first thing I did was strip out all of the theme. So it was literally just cubes and meeples with zero theme attached. But my prototype was using red, blue, and yellow cubes for the resources. And I was like, what's red, blue, and yellow? Color. And so from there, this was at GrandCon that I had that realization out in Grand Rapids, which is a great little convention. Um, and overnight, basically, I came up with Pigment based on the theme of gathering these pigments to use to make paints, which you then use to make paintings and fill your gallery to win. So it sounds more like a resource management and uh, conversion kind of game. Is that right? Yeah, it's very much a worker placement game along the lines of like Splendor or Lords of Waterdeep. Cool. All right. So let's go a little wider than your specific games and talk about uh, just art as a theme. Because most games, besides pure abstracts, have art assets. Some are known for their art. Uh, like Scythe, the game was designed around the world created by the artist. But Scythe is not about art. It just has amazing art. So what's kind of a different thing when you're doing a game where art is the theme and then also it's going to have art because games need art nowadays and no one's going to look at them? <laughs> so for me personally, I think art is something that everyone relates to on some level. We've all doodled. We've all scribbled. We've all painted. We've all taken an art class, even if it was just an elementary school. And so art is something that has surrounded us as a culture for millennia. You can go back to the cave paintings and see them animating on the walls. But for art to be playful, I think, is something that really gets to the core of what artistic creation is about. Um, and I'm sure Alicia has had fun with drawings before. Like, even if you're given a simple task, you can take it in so many directions that I think that becomes almost a game in and of itself. 
I think one of the challenges in creating a game where art is the theme as compared to um, something that provides context or story is that uh, you've got to design the game in a way that doesn't ruin the art itself. One of the really hard things I found was... uh, uh, well, at least for starving artists, was how do I essentially obliterate these beautiful works of great art and put little cube squares over them and not interfere with the game player's appreciation of that art? And I think that's somewhat unique. There are a couple of games on the market, um, I won't name them, where they have beautiful works of art. They're presented in sort of a terrible way that, you know, either too small or not enough detail or it, with. Um, uh, graphic design elements that you know, sort of do a disservice to the beautiful work that they utilized in the game. And I think that that is a very common misstep for people designing games where art is at the core. Uh, then on the flip side of that, you look at other games, things like The Gallerist, where they put front and center, or Modern Art is another one, where they put front and center the art, and it is much... Um, more impactful in the gameplay than if they had just used uh, random art assets or even commissioned their own art um, in support of it. And and I wholeheartedly agree with both of those. Um, for me, when it comes to using art as a theme, I have to think about how the art is going to be part of the mechanics. Um, like what what are you know basically how do you transform art into a mechanic even is definitely probably the challenge in most of it because you want the art to be centered but you also want there to be more substance to a game than just oh it's about art um for example in underlings underwing it was how do i take color theory and which is used for i mean tons of things but we focus on like painter's palette and how you take something like that and you turn it into for us, it was like colored crystals and elements. Well, no, but I think you're right, though. I mean, even for games that I'm thinking about, like modern art, where it's a bidding game, or the gallerist, where you're stocking, you know, an art gallery full of things, or even for starving artists, where, you know, part of the game is collecting cubes to generate it, I don't think it's sufficient to just put beautiful art on, in a game and not think about how you're actually using it to affect the both fun aspects of the game, the gameplay, the end results, the you know player interaction, and some games that just use it um, because it looks beautiful sort of miss an opportunity, I think, uh, to, to do a good job with it. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I mean, with Pigment, um, one of the things that I really wanted to capture was not just getting the pigments to draw to paint a painting but rather i tried to tailor each cost of a painting to the painting itself so like there's a painting by ambrosius benson of mary magdalene it's very heavily on the red and black so red is the main focus of that painting red are the pigments that you need red is the pigments that it generates as your premier piece um but even beyond that, thinking about art materials, um, since my game was set in the Renaissance, um, I had to make sure that the pigments and the setting and the art that I did commission made sense um, for 
the mechanics of the game. For example, since blue pigment was very rare compared to red or yellow, that is the valuable pigment. Um, and I think that keeping that kind of thing in mind really helped me when I was tweaking the mechanics to make it less of a factory game and more of a rushing to gather the rarest pigments before the other painter can finish their works type of game. That's interesting since blue is the most frequent cube in Starving Artists. <laughs> but I pu- but I pulled more art from a variety of sources, not in just the Renaissance. Uh, but that's interesting. That is interesting. I never really thought of it that way. Um, in my game, it's more the colors are represented as elements, so we don't have to worry about blue being super rare. <laughs> Did you find, I'm just curious, since you focused on the Renaissance, uh, did you find, um, picking, or did, does your game pick art from a variety of places, or how did you go about and actually find your art to, to do that, or is it something else? So there were three criteria that the art had to meet. One, it had to be from the Renaissance, and specifically Renaissance Europe. Two, it had to fit the colors that I was using, so featuring either red or blue or yellow prominently, because it's a three-pigment game. Um, and three, no nudity, no crucifixions, which is very, very tough for the Renaissance, because there are a lot of religious images and a lot of nudes that, while they're great and all, they are not appropriate for a family-friendly game. So that's kind of my criteria for picking paintings. Um, all of the paintings typically are portraits, except for like one or two, which I chose simply because I love the painting. For example, uh, the Archangel Michael slaying the dragon by Raphael, or um, his transfiguration as well. Uh, the two Raphaels, and they're not portraits, but they are so iconic as pieces of Renaissance art, I kind of wanted to put them in. When I did my um, selection for art, you know, one of the criteria, I had the same sort of no nudity, although, um, as some backers pointed out, I failed in sort of minor ways in a couple of paintings. Um, but I also I looked for colorful, I looked for... Um, appropriate and then i went for a variety i i wasn't actually content to do just the renaissance i ended up doing and making sure that i could get art from a variety of diverse sources so i have um you know women painters women artists as you know and essentially the whole gambit of the world history all the way down to uh, cave paintings actually show up as one of the one of the things and that was I think one of the things that helped me sort of overcome the uh, uh, barriers of just using only, say, impressionist paintings in in my uh, my game. Yeah, I actually really like the selection of art that you chose for Starving Artists. Um, one of the things that I specifically had to do with pigment is not choose a lot of the same paintings you did. <laughs> um, but honestly, that provided an interesting challenge because, like, when you think Renaissance art, you immediately think, like, the Mona Lisa. I do not have the Mona Lisa as one of the paintings in my game. I actually do have a Da Vinci, but it's not Mona. 
I did a whole update in my during my campaign because people wondered about things like the Mona Lisa, uh, like why isn't there a Mona Lisa? I'm like because it would be all yellow and black, and that's just no fun. Yeah, that too. Um, but like, there's so many paintings that are beautiful and amazing and evocative. Um, a lot of the paintings I chose, for example, have a lot of like mythological elements to them. But a lot of people also don't know these paintings or don't know the artists too well. So like, I tried to get a Spanish artist in there. I have Dutch. I have Flemish, I believe. So uh, I actually want to go back to something I believe Mike said earlier about the difficulty of putting graphic design in with the art, which I think probably less of an issue for Alicia's game because she was making her own art. But Mike and Michael, you were both grabbing historic paintings, so you kind of had to fit those into your game in a way that would work for the art. So what are what are some of the things to keep in mind when... You have a game that focuses on the art, so you really need the art to come across, but you also have to get across um, in- information through the graphic design. So what are what are some things you look out for in that? So for me, I have a mix of both um, the painting cards, which have the art from the Renaissance, but I've also got bizarre cards, which are where you're sending your apprentices to gather your pigments. Um... For the bizarre cards, I specifically told my artist, Emily Hancock, that she could not overshadow the Renaissance masters. Um, And I think that she definitely succeeded. They complement each other well. Um, And when we went into graphic design, it really became a matter of just keep it simple. Um, The painting cards are done in a palette that really draws attention to the art first and the mechanic second, which, while not always ideal, I think is necessary in a game that is so art-focused. Yeah, and for me, uh, like I said, one of the hard things for me to balance was how much can I... uh, sort of disrupt the beautiful art in order to make it work because uh, the game by its very nature was a paint by cube game and so in order to paint by cube I actually had to tell players where to place the cubes to sort of complete the paintings and in the process essentially turning beautiful works of art uh, into ones that are pockmarked with little squares on them Uh, and it took me a lot of practice and a lot of um, uh, trial and error to do that in ways that didn't ruin paintings. The other problem that I had, and I think a lot of a lot of game designers who want to use um, public domain art or paintings, is that the format, the size, the media is much much smaller. It's a you know even my game where I have very oversized cards. Um, Uh, essentially three poker cards next to each other, um, is much, much smaller than these grand works of art. So you necessarily are using up some of um, uh, the, I don't know, specific beautiful touches that is part of the the grand works and their masterpiece forms uh there were even a couple of the uh 
um, paintings where the size, the proportions were just so gigantic that they didn't work super well. Uh, you can think of like the pointillism didn't translate particularly well, though um, a couple backers convinced me to include one uh, pointillist art in the game. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a challenge. And I watch and I see other people use public domain art and uh, beautiful works of art. And I look at it and I think that um, it's often not portrayed super well. Yeah, I think it really is important also to get high resolution files for those. Because a lot of people will not do, they won't put in the legwork to really get the really good of those paintings, of those sculptures. Yeah, and I had to um, to do starving artists right. Um, little known secret, and it's taking years to alter even to alter even the high resolution images that I did um, have of the images to make sure that the palettes were consistent across the the game. Um, I changed the saturation and on some of the paintings, and uh, if you look closely between what's in the game and what ends up. Um, you know, that you'll see on the screen, or if you take it to the Institute or, or wherever you're going, to look, wherever you're going to look at your art, you'll notice that there are differences both in um, things that I had to crop out in order to make it work on the particular dimensions of the card. And, and to a lesser degree, I actually had to modify the color palettes to make them consistent across the game so that they weren't so jarring and, frankly, so that they better match the cubes that I ended up in in the game, but it took a lot of work and a lot of extra time to make that on having not look like I actually, actually did a disservice to the art itself. Alicia, anything to add about working graphic design into an art-themed game? In my opinion, um, when it comes to graphic design and art, you can have the best art in the world, like I'm sure these guys were saying, but... If you have bad graphic design, there's no point in having good art. Graphic design is like the cherry on top of your sundae. It's the thing that makes your ice cream shine, basically. So, I mean, I completely agree. Graphic design is 100% necessary when it comes to making a game about art or a game about anything, really. So, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, based on what Mike was talking about, with putting the cubes on the art, was... One really interesting game that I saw published, I think it was last year, um, Sagrada from Floodgate Games. Um, they actually make a point of not only having cool designs in the game, but also the process of making art is so central to that game. I think it probably is one of the best executed art games I've seen. Um, that game's a dice building game with um, clear dice and a plastic um, frame that you're basically making stained glass in. Has anyone else seen that game? Yep. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. I like it. It's also gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of interesting seeing what art styles get chosen for games. So uh, that brings up an interesting question. What The process of printing poker cards is very different than doing oil paintings. So what are some of the things you have to go through to make sure that the things you're getting printed match the original paintings as closely as possible or are different in the ways you need them to be different? Well, for me, that was actually 
quite an undertaking. Uh, I did a lot of my pre-production stuff using um, a print-on-demand service uh, to test a whole bunch of different formats. I think I probably printed uh, 15 different copies of Starving Artists before I even got to the Kickstarter. Uh, And then um, I did a number of uh, um, production prints uh, with my long-run manufacturer just to make sure that the color was right. I actually had two separate different issues. One was getting the cards themselves to look reasonable. And then the second, which caused me a lot of heartache and a lot of heartburn was that I also needed the color cubes to match the palettes uh, that were printed. So that was an interesting challenge in and of itself. Pantone is your friend. Yeah, well, that... um, that's interesting. That's true. I actually selected Pantone colors, um, but then at the quantities that I was trying to get them to print, uh, Alicia can attest, um, I got some of those cubes and they did not end up exactly perfect. I, there's a couple uh, backers who have blended orange yellows, for example. That's really weird. I have never like actually heard that cube. happening. House rule is that it counts for either color in the long run, but... <laughs> Yep. Nice. I've never heard of that issue before, but I actually do have a little collection of weird board game bits. Um, so like diagonal cubes, um, half a meeple that's fully painted, um, a D6 that just the more you look at it, the worse it gets. But I have never heard of a blended paint job before on a cube. Well, I think I ended up ordering, I don't know what it is, some tens of thousands of different colored cubes in each color. So the the likelihood that I had a couple that did not find their way through the manufacturing process correctly was probably pretty high. So another another question I thought of, um, since Alicia and Mike, you both did Kickstarters, and Michael, you're going to Kickstarter, you are getting an incredible amount of community feedback before you produce your game. And although art as a theme has been done before in a couple of things, it's still, I think, a pretty unique theme. So what was kind of the community um, response to the theme? Obviously enough that you all funded. So what are what are some things that the community thought of your unique theme? Alicia? Um, so for me, I mean, everybody loves dragons, right? Um, but when it comes to having color theory as a theme, I ran into a couple things and it actually semi-relates to the previous question is if you're doing color theory, what kind of color theory was I doing? And there was actually a couple people, um, and instead of just giving feedback on like the art, look at the game, they were more concerned about the mechanic of the type of uh, color color theory. Um, for example, when you're printing, you use CMYK, um, or if it's the light coming off your monitor, that's red, green, blue. But when you're um, painting or a color palette, it's red, blue, and yellow. So it was very much like, what color theory are you using? You're not using the right color theory, um, and and. When it comes to feedback, I think what most game designers know is you have to take a lot of your feedback to heart, but sometimes there's feedback you have to kind of push to the side and remember that it's not right for your game. Do you think that that was particularly heightened for uh, underlings in part because you um, advertised it as a an educational game, whereas I did not like plaster mine with the, hey, 
you know, thousands of backers, you're buying a flashcard version of art history game. Absolutely. And it was, it was me basically having to break it down for people. This is a color theory game, but it's painter's color theory, not printing color theory, not light color theory, um, not infrared type color theory. It's painter's color theory. And that was a, it was a big struggle we kept running into. Yeah, I think it's really important that people recognize that, yes, it's about art, but it's also about making a good game. And I think that's something that a lot of people will just choose to jump on, that one little thing, for instance. Um, One issue I've run into with Pigment during my first print run at PAX East last year, um, the blue that I was using on the cards looked purple because of a weird optical illusion but people called me out on it a couple times um i've since adjusted it but like it didn't really impact the gameplay too much so i wasn't really overly concerned about that though i did ultimately fix it yeah it's a good point i uh just from doing some business cards for my Blue Cube Board Games blog, I found out that apparently printing blue is the hardest thing to do in the world. That is very true. <laughs> That's a lesson learned there. Pick a, a red icon, I guess, next time. Well, and I had the issue with my game, whether my cubes were purple, violet, fuchsia. I ended up doing a Pantone uh, in the violet spectrum, but still um, got a lot of feedback, comments, questions, people going and people debating what color was what in the um, comments. And uh, I still get that a little bit. Um, every once in a while, somebody wants to take a, a very particular point um, on whatever the color is. Hey, Mike and Alicia, how do you feel about indigo? Not a color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the issue, the issue with that blue that I mentioned was called metamorism, if you're interested. Um, it's kind of a weird optical illusion where colors change depending on the colors around them. I don't know what color the dress is. But... <laughs> uh, this kind of brings up an interesting point, though, about a struggle that almost every art game is going to run into, and that's oh, colorblindness. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's something that I'm lucky enough that my husband's colorblind, so I can just be like, hey, can you see this? <laughs> and so maybe that makes me a little bit more lucky. Um, but that's something that I think... Everybody who does an art game that has any colored components is going to run into. And it's definitely something that there's no way around it. If you're doing a game with art or any game involving color that specifically needs to be red, blues, yellows, there's no way around colorblindness. So it's just like making it as colorblind as colorblind friendly as possible, I think is the only thing you can really do. Honestly, that's an issue with every game, not just art games, um, unless you're doing chess. Um, But accessibility in games is such an important thing that I feel like the ways that people tackle it in art games is very interesting. Um, For instance, on my cards, I'm not only using the colors, but there's a very subtle letter inside of each cube. Um, so like a Y for the yellow, a B for the blue, etc. Just as like a little secondary marker. Um, but with my other game, Tattoo the Game of Ink, which is another art game, um, 
just making sure that all the icons for the different themes of tattoos were both colored differently, placed differently, and shaped differently was, I think, one of the most important pieces of making that game work. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I my game by necessity struggled with colorblindness, although I thought about it long and hard and made some conscious design decisions throughout the process. I, you know, ultimately came down in a way that was not a perfect solution, although I, I offer both um, advice and guidance at the end of the day in the rule book and I provide some tools for fixing it in the game um, I didn't end up marking every single cube space with a color indicator in part because um, I ran into how to make it look nice when on top of the art and how best to sort of convey that message without ruining the ultimate dynamic and you know at some level not every colorblind player is happy with the the result but I didn't have I, I just ended up having to make a, a decision um, during production about how to address that. So one weird thing about colorblindness, I know a lot of artists who are colorblind. Is this a, actually a common thing? Like I know graphic designers, artists, digital artists. Um, I, I know a lot of people who are colorblind but still are very into art and creating art and make beautiful work. Is this a common thing? Uh, you're asking if it's common for like artists to be colorblind? Um, I'm not quite sure. I know that there is an artist who actually has an extra cone of vision, so she sees more colors than everybody else, which is kind of cool. Um, but, I mean, I don't think my husband you know, appreciates art any less being colorblind. I know that mostly he just has colors like between tones. So like uh, an orange yellow, he can't tell if it's a yellow or an orange, um, those kinds of things. But I think it also depends on what kind of colorblindness you have. Cause I mean, for anything, yeah. it'd make your art look cooler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely think it can be interesting um, working with these people who I've worked with in the past. Um just seeing how they're seeing is really kind of interesting. And I think that's part of the challenge of any art game is to see how people will see your game. Absolutely. Um, when it came to Underlings of Underwing, we ran into a couple issues with colorblindness. And a couple of our solutions was increasing the pigment on our crystals, which helped a little bit. Um, but mainly we actually ended up creating little spaces on the player tiles and uh on those player tiles you players next to you can be like oh that's red that's blue that's green and you place them on those locations and now you don't have to remember what color they are um as long as you know other players are trustworthy i guess but yeah we ended up with a similar result in starving artists which i had the color palettes of the usable colors at the bottom of every painting so that um, players can know that and then the cubes were never going to be colorblind friendly no matter what i did i it was too much to say screen print the letters on the cubes themselves so it was an imperfect solution regardless or you could just change the shape of the cube. No, you can't because you had to draw from a bag. Ah, blind bag. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, we had a lot of technical problems here that hopefully the audience is unaware of, but we shall see. Uh, so I just want to give you each a chance to uh, talk about anything you have coming up, um, any contact info for people that want to follow you online, um, any information about 
your games and where they can get them. Um, Mike, let's start with you. Sure. You can find me probably most easily on Twitter at Fairway3Games. Uh, my game Starving Artists. You can buy it now and have it shipped overnight if you wanted from Amazon. Um, again, that's just on Starving Artists. Or if you're international in Canada or the UK, you can get it from my website, uh, starvingartistgame.com. Uh, I also have a blog and do um, game reviews, uh, The Indie Game Report, www.theindiegamereport.com. And Michael? Uh, you can find us online at copperfroggames.com, Facebook and Twitter, Copperfrog Games. Um, we're going to Kickstarter next, sorry, not next month, this month, um, on October 24th through November 24th with Pigment. It will be a $15 plus shipping game um, featuring Renaissance paintings. Look for that soon. And Alicia. Uh, well, if you want to see what I'm up to, uh, you can always check out my website at aliciadoesart.com. Uh, you can see games I'm working on for my personal projects, games I'm working on for other people. And then you can find me on like any social media under Alicia Goldman. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter at BlueCubeBGS. You can find the show at the BG Workshop. You can... Follow my blog at bluecubeboardgames.com. I post something every Friday. And you can get the show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Cool. And Mike, something you just started to go into at the end there. Um... Printing poker cards is very different than doing an oil painting, so the colors aren't going to come across the same. You do have to do probably, I would imagine, several tests of printing before you really got things to look the way you wanted. So what's kind of the process you had to go through for that to make sure that a tiny card could? I think we lost our host. So yeah, I had... Uh, two things that happened. One was I did a lot of um, pre-production prototype printing. Um, I actually used a print-on-demand service to do almost all of my pre-production copies. Um, got a pretty good feel for how it would work. Um, and reviews all went out that way. And then when it came time to actually take it to a long forth, 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 colors weren't, the colors weren't, the colors weren't, the colors weren't, the colors weren't working, colors weren't working, colors weren't working, colors weren't working, weren't working, weren't working, weren't working, weren't working, weren't working, weren't working. The way I when it came, when it came, when it came, when it came, when it came time, when it came time, when it came time, when it came time to to get those important, 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 important.